progress. Ladies and gentlemen, a very special, ladies and gentlemen, a very special welcome to Daily Power Parsha. Today is Friday, November 26, 2021. It is Thanksgiving weekend. Exciting to, excited to spend the Friday afternoon. It's Friday 11. It's weird by me. Whatever. Anyway, so I'm excited. I was going to say morning. Excited to spend this time together studying some Torah. We are in the middle of the Torah portion of Vayeshev. Of course, Vayeshev is dominated by the story of Yosef, the sale of Yosef by his brothers, the imprisonment of Yosef by Potiphar, and ultimately setting the stage for his becoming viceroy next week. Whoops. Spoiler, I've said too much. Um, we are going to cover today readings numbers, the seventh reading. Let me just double check the sixth reading that we did. Yeah, I think the sixth reading I did in the car on the way down here. Yep. So we're up to reading number seven. All right, I have things set on my end. Let's do a very quick chazar, very quick review. Chazara means review. Um, <coughs> the Torah portion began with Yaakov wanting to live with tranquility after all of the drama of his life. And God says, you ain't seen nothing yet. And the drama of Yosef begins. Yosef's brothers are jealous. They don't like him. They want to kill him. They throw him into a pit. They pull him out of the pit. They sell him as a slave. He gets brought down to Egypt. In the meantime, I'm just recapping the Torah portion. In the meantime, Yehuda has his own family drama. He has three sons. The two, first two get married to this woman, Tamar. They both die he holds off on giving her to his third son, Shayla. Ultimately, he and her get together. He doesn't know it's her. She gets pregnant. They have twins. And that's that story. The Torah gets back to the story of Yosef. Yosef gets sold ultimately to a fellow named Potiphar. Potiphar is the royal butcher. And as the royal butcher, he is a bit of a big macher. He's like a, somewhat of a prominent fellow. Yosef is extremely successful, Ish Matzliach. He has faith in God. He trusts in God. He's a positive guy. People trust him. He exudes that positivity. Everyone wants to be around him. He's got, he's got this great, uh, great energy about him. And Potiphar gives him everything, control of everything except for his wife. Um, we had to do a bit of a more family-friendly, I hope you realize that on the other day, a family-friendly version of this because I had kids in the car. Nonetheless, um, there's uh, this idea that, uh, that he gave him everything except for his wife, obviously. And his wife desired Yosef. Potiphar's wife desired Yosef. There was a spiritual component, which I did mention a few days ago. That physically, he was an attractive guy. He was a handsome guy. He was very successful, very positive, charismatic. And his wife, Potiphar's wife, wished to be with Yosef. The Talmud says, I did not mention this a few days ago, the Talmud says that Yosef, that day, that fateful day that the Torah describes, that day Yosef wanted to be with her as well. And he was planning on being with her. No one was in the house. Everyone was out. There was a festival. There was a holiday, some sort of pagan holiday that everyone was at. She said that she wasn't feeling well. He was at home working. And they were alone in the house. He had intended to go ahead with it. The Talmud says that at the last moment, before he was going to commit that sin with her, um, the image of his father appeared to him before his eyes, and that image of his father um, helped him desist, walk away, run away from that potential transgression, from that adulterous um, act. 
What's interesting is that the commentary, the, 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 there, are, there are those that ask the question, why does the image of his father, you know, keep him away from sin? So the simple answer is because his father, he felt guilty or he felt he remembered his connection, whatever it is. But there's a deeper explanation. It says in the Zohar, it says in Kabbalah, that Yaakov, Jacob, physically looked like Adam, Adam Harishon, the first human being ever created. When he sees his father's image, he also sees Adam's image. And when he sees Adam's image, he realizes that every individual action makes a difference. There's no such thing as a little bite of the apple. I know it wasn't an apple, but there's no such thing as a little bite. Just one little taste. No one's going to know. No, like, is anyone looking? Crunch. Okay, it's good. I tasted it. We're done. Nope. What Adam does, what Eve does, has repercussions for the entire world, for all of humanity until this very day. We're all feeling the effects of that one action to remind us that we're not private citizens. What we do matters. Everything that we do matters. Recognizing that, meditating on that in that moment right before he was about to commit a sin. Imagine his, his, thought, his mindset. No one knows I'm here. My family doesn't know where I am. No one's looking. No one's watching. No one cares. Finally, somebody wants me. I shouldn't be with her. For him to say no required him to realize that even when you think no one's looking or when you tell yourself no one's looking, when you tell yourself it doesn't make a difference, no one's getting hurt, etc., everything matters. It does matter. Does that make sense? And so that's what, I didn't even wait for the answer because um, I'm, I'm sure it makes sense. So the point is like this, that, that, that recognizing that, Yosef runs away, the cloak he leaves in her hand, and uh, she, she then accuses him of, of, of raping her, and uh, he gets thrown away in the old slammer, in the dungeon in Egypt. And that's where we find Yosef right now for the seventh reading. Yosef, though, but we did read actually that Yosef was once again positive and charismatic and, and, and successful because he trusted God. And so the warden of the prison put, all, put everything in, in, in control of, of Yosef. Yosef became the guy who ran all the stuff. Okay, so this takes us to reading number seven as I share my screen with you right now. Genesis chapter 40, verse number 1. Now it came about, after these events, that the cupbearer of the king of Egypt, that means the butler, and the baker of the king of Egypt, sinned against their master, against the king of Egypt. So, we have the royal butler and the royal baker that commit a no-no, with Pharaoh. What's the no-no? What's the no-no? So the, the commentaries say, the butler served Pharaoh a, a glass of wine with a fly inside, and the baker served Pharaoh a loaf of bread with a small stone, a small pebble inside. So what does he do? Pharaoh says, that's it. Off to jail, off to prison. Pharaoh became incensed at his two chamberlains, at the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he placed them in the prison of the house of the chief of the slaughters into the prison, the place where Joseph was imprisoned. So now we have the setting. We have the prison. Joseph is there. And two new individuals roll in one day, the butler and the baker. The candlestick maker was still in good graces, the butler and the baker. And the chief of the slaughters, here we go, verse 4, the chief of the slaughters appointed Joseph to be with them. And he served them, and they were a year in prison. So this is already a full year of all three of them, and more, I'm sure, more 
being in this prison. Verse number five, now we get back to dreams. Remember at the beginning of the Torah portion, Yosef has two dreams. Remember that? He dreamt of the stocks in the field bowing down to him and the sun, moon, and 11 stars bowing down to him. So now they have dreams. He had dreams of his greatness. Now they have dreams, the, the butler and the baker do. Now both of them dreamed a dream, each one his dream on the same night. So the same night, each one dreamt his dream. Each man, according to the interpretation of his dream, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in prison. Each one has a dream, a dream that unlocks, sorry, a dream that holds the key to unlocking their own destiny. But they have no idea the meaning of the dream. They know they dreamt a dream. They know that this dream means something, but they can't, for the life of them, figure out what the meaning of the dream is. And Joseph came, now Joseph doesn't know of this, but he comes to them in the morning because he was the one who was attending yeah, as the guy in charge, you know, the, 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 the prisoner who was given a little responsibility. He was kind of managing the things that were going on, including the butler and the baker. So Joseph came to them in the morning and he saw them and behold, vihinam zo'afim in Hebrew, zo'afim. What does it mean, zo'afim? Zo'afim means they were troubled. They had a very um, concerned look about them. They look, what is it? A look of consternation, a look of anxiety, a look of being troubled, right? Like a, like a darkening, a darkening of the mood of the whole ambiance, the visage, the countenance. Of them. And he asked Pharaoh's chamberlains who were with him in the prison of his master's house, he asked them, saying, Why are your faces sad today? Why are your faces sad today? A question that would change his life, a question that would alter the course of history forever, one question that would change the world. Why are your faces sad today? And they said to him, we have dreamed a dream and there is no interpreter for it. We know that these dreams have a meaning. We know that there's a message. But who is going to unlock the meaning of these dreams here in this dungeon in prison? Joseph said to them, don't interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me now. Very confident. He says, listen. You need someone to interpret the dreams. God has the interpretations. So tell them to me. The implication being, I got, I got a channel. I got, I, got, uh, I got some access. So verse 9, the chief cupbearer, that's the butler again. The butler related his dream to Yosef. And he said to him, in my dream, behold, a vine is before me. And on the vine are three tendrils. Three tendrils. And it seemed to be blossoming and its buds came out. Then its clusters ripened into grapes. So tendrils are like little baby clusters, baby, you know, formations of grapes. So there's one vine, three tendrils, and then behold, right in front of his eyes, they're blossoming, the buds are coming out, and they're ripening into full-on grapes. All this is happening live in his dream. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, all part of the dream. And I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup. And I placed the cup on Pharaoh's palm. And that was the dream. And the butler is saying, I don't know what it means. I know that it's meaningful, but I don't know what it means. 
And I'm a little bit concerned. I'm a little bit concerned. I don't know what it means. What's the interpretation? And Yosef said to him, here we go. Number two, verse 12. This is the meaning. The, th- the three tendrils are three days. Right? There's one vine with three tendrils. Those are three days. It's an allusion to three days. In another three days, Pharaoh will count you with the other officers. That means he will notice that you're gone. Why in three days? Because, as the commentaries tell us, in three days, it was going to be Pharaoh's birthday. On his birthday, he was going to throw a party. At the party, he was going to want to have his royal butler. And he'll remember, wait a second, where's my butler? Oh yeah, I threw him into prison. And he will, in another three days, as he remembers you, he will restore you to your position. And you will place Pharaoh's cup into his hand, according to your previous custom, when you were his cupbearer. Just like the dream that that had you squeezing the grapes as, as wine into a cup and then serving the cup to Pharaoh in three days, three tendrils, three days. Pharaoh's birthday, you will be restored to your position. You're going to become, once again, the royal butler. Joseph adds a very interesting personal request, verse 14. But remember me when things go well with you and please do me a favor and mention me to Pharaoh. Hey, you're going to be going back to Pharaoh, restored to your post. When you get there, put in a good word for me and you will get me out of this house. Joseph, Yosef advocates for himself. He says to the butler, remember me, mention me, advocate for me, and pull me out of here. You're going to be the one to get me out of this place. The commentaries say that because of this, he had to languish in prison for another two years. Because he put his trust in the butler. And the, and, and, and the curious student might ask, well, what's the problem? We know, we just learned in the anti-Semitism course, although you, you believe in God, You have to make a vessel. Believe in God, that God will provide the blessing, but you got to do the work. He's doing the work. He's putting in the advocacy. He's saying, saying, God, sure, I believe in you, but you want me to make a plan? I got a plan. I got this butler. I'm giving him good news. I asked him to remember me. We're covered, right? He got punished. Two years, two more years in the slammer because he put his faith in the butler. Why? What's wrong? I highlighted these words for a reason in English. Right? He didn't just ask him to put in a good word. He said, and you will get me out of this house. In other words, the outcome is being attributed to the butler. I hope that makes sense what I'm saying. We need to do the effort and the outcome is up to God. Not up to God. More precisely, the outcome is is where God does the work. We do the work in creating the vessel, making the channel, making the vehicle, but God infuses the outcome. God infuses the blessing to make the outcome happen. But what does Yosef say? He combines everything. Remember me when things go well. Please do me a favor, measure me to Pharaoh, and you will get me out of this house. That's attributing the outcome to the butler. I hope you see the difference there. So to do the work, put in a good word for me is one thing, but to attribute the, the, the release to, to the butler or to Pharaoh is going too far. Let's continue back inside. Here he pleads his case. I'm innocent to the butler. For I was stolen from that land of the Hebrews. 
And here too, I've done nothing for which they have put me into the dungeon. In other words, my whole existence here is wronged. I was, I was, uh, um, I was kidnapped, kidnapped from my home. I've done nothing wrong here. Right? The whole, my whole existence is, uh, should not be here. Okay, let's continue. Verse 16. Now the chief baker, that was the other guy, the chief baker saw that he had interpreted well. In other words, that the, that the butler got a good interpretation. So he said to Joseph, me too. Yeah, sure. I, I can't wait for my good interpretation. In my dream, so he launches into his own dream. There are two guys, butler, baker. Butler got a good interpretation. Yeah, baker's like, hands up. My hand is up. I got, I got a dream also. And he launches into it. In my dream, behold, there were three wicker baskets on my head. I also had three. Three tendrils. I got three baskets. And the topmost basket were all kinds of Pharaoh's food, the work of a baker. And the birds were eating them from the basket atop my head. Great. He's excited. He can't wait to hear the good news about his being appointed. Joseph replied and said, uh, actually, got some bad news for you. This is the meaning. The three, the three baskets represent three days. That's similar. Yeah. In, in another three days, Pharaoh's birthday, he's going to remember you. Pharaoh will remove your head from you and hang you on the gallows. Whoops. And the birds will eat your flesh off you. So Yosef says, um, I actually have some bad news for you. Three baskets or three days, but the fact that the bread is on your head and the fact that the birds are eating from the bread of the, bas- the top basket means you're going to be hanged on the gallows and the birds are going to eat your flesh. Yeah. There you go. Obviously, he didn't ask him to put in a good word, right? Verse 20. By the way, why the difference? Why the difference between the butler and the baker? Because the butler, the fly could have flown in after the butler poured the wine. So he poured the wine and then he served it. As he was serving it, the fly flew in. What are you going to do? But the baker, when you bake a stone inside a loaf of bread, that's considered more of a, uh, ne- a negligent um, act of... Um, uh, grievousness against the king. Yes, Donna. Um, so a few a few verses up, when Joseph was lamenting about his fate, yes, from. So how does that coincide with his belief in the divine providence and better good purpose? Good. He felt excellent question. He felt that the next step of his journey would be to get out of this prison, and do his thing out of the dungeon. And so he was advocating to the butler who might have said, why should I put in a good word? So he's telling the butler, he's not kvetching or complaining as much as he's telling the butler, put in a good word because I I really don't belong here, right? So we could read it, and maybe I read it a little wrong. Maybe I read it with more of a a complaining or more more of a bitter type of tone. It's more of a matter of fact. I was talking about the Hebrews here to have done nothing which I put me in the dungeon. In other words, I don't belong here, so help me get out. That's it's like he still has a higher purpose. Yeah, exactly. He's not saying, "Oh, good look, I'm 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 like in charge of the prisoners here, so we're good. I I fulfill my purpose." He realizes there's there's even more more ahead, and he's trying to you know he's trying to make that happen. Um, he's being proactive about it, which is good. But once again, he's putting the outcome in the hands of the of the butler, and I mean that's the main thing. But this I I don't read this as a negative, as like him you know, uh, reversing on his belief that God is in control. I just see it as, 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 as informing the 
the butler as to what the deal is. Okay. Now let's talk about the baker. What happens? Now it came about, or, or the butler and the baker. Now it came about on the third day, Pharaoh's birthday. Oh, that's how we know it's Pharaoh's birthday because the Torah literally says it. That Pharaoh made a feast for all his servants and he counted the chief cupbearer and the chief baker among his servants. He's like, hey, where are these guys? He, rem he remembered them. And he restored the chief cupbearer to his position as cupbearer and he placed the cup on Pharaoh's palm just as Joseph had said. And the chief baker he hanged as Joseph had interpreted to them. But, verse 23, I mentioned before, but the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, and he forgot him. Two things. He didn't remember, and he forgot him. One is more passive, one is more active, and again, the commentaries say, it was a punishment. Like his not only not remembering, but forgetting, was a punishment for Yosef, or a punishment sounds harsh, a consequence of Yosef putting his, putting the outcome in the hands of the of the uh, of the butler. In order to break that, there has to be two years in interim, two years in between, and then a new set of dreams, etc. by Pharaoh, as we'll read next week. And then finally, Yosef gets pulled out to interpret those dreams. All right, so this concludes the dramatic, the dramatic opening Torah portion of the story of Yosef. We read about his, the, 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 the friction with his brothers, his kidnap and sale, Drama in Egypt, ending up as a slave and as a prisoner, and ultimately his interpreting the dreams of the butler and baker. Now, um, okay, any before we move on to that Torah, any questions or comments? Checking in. No? Makes sense? Okay, just as far as next week. Next week, um, please God, we should be back on Monday, yeah? We should be back on Monday at noon. Um, as far as in person or not, stay tuned for that. Stay tuned. Should be, but I'll just confirm um, at some point over the weekend. Don't for um, and then as I mentioned Hanukkah, we still have time to do that. And then one second. Oh, and then next week we're going to talk about the next step of the Joseph story, which is where um, Pharaoh has dreams, pulls them out, he interprets it, becomes viceroy. Then the brothers come down. And all that drama, the interaction between him and his brothers without them knowing who he is, all of that is next week. Now, Haftorah, let's, let's jump in. The Haftorah comes from the book of Amos, I believe. Yes, Amos chapter 2. And this Haftorah um, mentions, references the sale of Yosef somewhere. Let's see. But mainly, I believe there's a mention of the... All right, there's some, there's some reference to Yosef in Egypt, which we'll get to in, as we read the Haftorah. But the Haftorah primarily is a rebuke of the Jewish people. That's one of the functions of the prophets, by the way, that God sent the prophets to rebuke the Jewish people and kind of like say, guys, wake up, because it's, it's not going to be good. If you continue down the path of idolatry and, and other negative things, it's just not going to be good. So you got you to gotta, you gotta get, get whipped into shape over here. So this is the, the nature of this Haftorah, a little bit of a... Kind of rebukey type thing. Amos chapter 2, verse 6. So said the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel, yes, yea, for four, I will not return them. For selling an innocent man for money, oh, there you go, and a poor man in order to lock the fields, who aspire on the dust of the earth concerning the head of the poor, and, who, and they pervert the way of the humble. And a man and his father go to the maid in order to profane my holy name. And they recline on pledged garments beside every altar, and the wine of the fine ones they drink in the house of their gods. 
Okay, basically, God is saying these are the, the negative um, actions of the Jewish people that are leading, going to lead to exile and, and, and negative repercussions. So, first of all, selling an innocent man for money, I mean, that's uh, kidnapping, human trafficking, which again is an allusion to Yosef right there. Um, uh, harm, uh, abusing the poor and the humble and profaning God's name and uh, idolatry, etc. Okay, so these are the various things. Verse number nine, and I destroyed the Amorites from before them whose height is as the height of the cedar trees and they are strong as oaks and I destroyed his fruit from above and his roots from below. Right? I, God says, I got rid of the Amorites from before you guys and I brought you up from the land of Egypt and I led you in the desert for 40 years to inherit the land of the Amorites. And I raised up some of your sons as prophets and some of your young men as Nazarites. Is this not so, children of Israel, says the Lord? In other words, God is saying, you're turning away from me doing all these negative things. Don't you remember what I did for you? Took you out of Egypt, led you through the desert, gave you the land of the Amorites. They were mighty tall as cedars. I gave you their land. And I gave you Nazarites and prophets. And you gave the Nazarites to drink wine. So I gave you holy people, people that are you know, not separated from the world. They don't drink wine. They're not indulgent. And you say, drink, come on, drink, peer pressure. And what about the prophets? I gave prophets to, to speak the word of God. And you commanded the prophets saying, do not prophesy. You tell the prophets, well, we don't want to hear it. God says, I'm, I did so much for you and I'm giving you the tools for you to get out of your own negativity. And what do you say? Don't want to hear it. You with me on this? I give you good role models. You want to pervert them? I give you prophets who speak my word and you say, I don't want to hear it. Come on. Behold, God says, I will oppress your dwelling place as a wagon full of sheaves is oppressed. And escape shall be lost to the swift and the strong shall not gain strength, nor shall the mighty man deliver himself. So this is negative uh, prophecy about the future. And he who holds the bow shall not stand and the fleet footed shall not deliver and the rider of the horse shall not deliver himself. And the, and the stout-hearted among the mighty shall flee naked on that day, says the Lord. That's the day of destruction, the day of uh, the exile. Amos chapter 3. Hearken to this word. Again, it's, this, this Haftorah is pretty much... Uh, uh, one, uh, the nature is a bit of a rebuke to the Jewish people. Amos chapter 3. Hearken to this word which the Lord spoke about you, O children of Israel, about the entire family which I brought up from the land of, of Egypt, saying... Only you did I love above all the families of the earth. Now here's the guilt. I mean, sorry, we're using a bit of a different angle, right? God is saying, look, I brought you out of Egypt. Only you did I love above all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will visit upon you all, all your iniquities. In other words, I loved you and you turned away from me. That's not cool. Will two walk together unless they agreed? Will a lion roar in the forest if he has no prey? Will a young lion let out a cry from his den unless he has taken something? Will a bird fall on a net upon the ground unless it has a snare? Will a net ascend from the ground and have taken nothing? Will a shofar be sounded in the city? Shofar with a PH, that's very sophisticated. Will a shofar be sounded in the city and the people not quake? Will there be evil in the city if the Lord has not done it? In other words, these are all rhetorical questions saying that when, you, when, when you're in a close relationship with God and then you snub God, it's usually not a good thing. Like, and we've talked about this before in other classes. We had a Kabbalah, and cla a Kabbalah and coffee class, I think, dedicated to this topic, maybe even two of them. The idea that when you care about something or someone, when you're invested in it, the way it goes affects you. If you don't care, then you don't care, right? If someone 
you know, is doing something. You don't care about them. So then who cares? They do this, they do that. You don't care. But when it's someone you love, when it's your child, when it's your spouse, then you care. Then they can hurt you because you're invested, because your, heart, your hearts are intertwined. God says, we are intertwined. So is it possible that, that your actions will not hurt me? It's not possible. Is it possible that your actions will not have repercussions? It's not possible. Verse 7, For the Lord God does nothing unless He has revealed the secret to His servants, the prophets. A lion has roared who will not fear. Again, a rhetorical, rhetorical questions here. This after. A lion has roared who will not fear. The Lord God has spoken who will not prophesy. In other words, listen to God's voice. God is saying, listen to my voice. I'm speaking, I'm roaring, I'm warning, I'm... Yeah? I was going to say threatening, not threatening, but I'm warning. Listen and pay heed to the message about getting back onto the straight and narrow. Okay, that, that concludes it. A bit of a, somewhat of a negative, I mean, negative, whatever, a bit of a, what, what's the problem if I call it negative? Yeah, it feels negative to me. It's negative. It's about, it's a, it's a reproof. It's a rebuke. It's a correction. It's not an easy half hour to read, but it's about recognizing where we're at and where we need to be. And sometimes that's a necessary step in, uh, in the process of, growth. Growth is not always smooth and steady. We're growing, we're positive. Sometimes it requires taking, taking stock, being introspective, recognizing what's not working, feeling that discomfort of what doesn't work, and working to get to what does work. All right, my friends, that is DPP for today. Questions, comments? So what's the connection between the Haftor and in the beginning of the Torah, God says that if because of these three or four cardinal sins, it's not going to be good. And one of them is selling, kidnapping a man and selling him. So this is related to the kidnap and sale of Yosef. So God is referencing either the sale of Yosef or saying if that continues, then it's not something, something along those lines. But it's, it's, it's referencing a human trafficking. All the other transgressions. Exactly. Exactly, which which is a theme of this of this week's Torah portion. If we recall the uh, the history of the Haftarah, I mean, it's like the books of the prophets we had, but at some point in history, they associated a Torah portion with the Haftarah, so they found this one. I guess this was this is what they got <laughs> when they were finding the association. Okay, all right, we're good. Yes, Ray, Donna, Sarah, Sandrine, I want to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving weekend. Jewishly, more importantly, I would say, happy Hanukkah weekend. Sunday night is Hanukkah. Don't forget to get all your gear in stock. Hanukkah lights are lit after nightfall. The purpose is, as we, oh, as we well know, what's the purpose? To light up the darkness. Menorah in the window. It's to light up the darkness. And um, because of that, we wait till it's dark. And we light the candles. We light one the first night Two, the second night, three, the third night, four, the fourth night, five, the fifth night, six, the sixth night, seven, the seventh night, and eight, the eighth night. We go up, Milam Bakodesh. The way we battle darkness is always going up and increasing. We start with one. And I'll share this message that I've been thinking about over the last few days, getting ready for Hanukkah. Sometimes we think, you know, the world is so dark, I only have one little flame, whatever that is. Whatever that is. I got one mitzvah. I got one, you know, I'm one person. Whatever your one is. I'm, I'm just one or I just have one. Whatever that is. And you think, it's such a big, dark world out there. How, what? 
Just shine. Just do your one thing. Share your one thing. Shine your one mitzvah, whatever it is. And then tomorrow, do a little bit more. And then the next day, a little bit more. And slowly, 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 you'll have all eight guns gunning for it. Oh, I see the Hanukkah candles, Sandrine. Where is that? Is that uh, Atlanta or Chicago? Atlanta. Atlanta. Okay, good. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Oh, very cool. Oh, Kosher Kroger. Yeah, we recognize that. That's a little end cap display. Very nice. Very, very nice. There you go. There you go. Always good to have in case anybody needs. So the message is, even if we have one flame, light it. And tomorrow, keep on increasing and slowly, slowly, the light, the darkness dissipates. The lightness, the, the darkness disappears. That is the nature of light and darkness. Darkness doesn't stand a chance. When you turn on the light, the darkness automatically vanishes. Darkness never overwhelms light. Light always overwhelms darkness. That is the, literally the nature of our universe. So my friends, we'll close it out with a blessing that I wish you all a Shabbat of light, a Shabbat of joy, a Shabbat of meaning and vitality and energy and positivity. Remember the lessons of Yosef. Even when things are dark, even when, th- when it's not your fault and it's, your, you know, it's, it's, it's st- the deck is stacked against you, have trust in God, remain positive, and keep on shining your light. Thank you very much for joining me. It's great to see you all. Happy Hanukkah. Good Shabbos. See you all soon. Ray, Donna, Sandrina, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Good Shabbos. Shabbos. See you guys. Take care, everybody.